understanding that you have a need today and you should certainly continue to recruit for that but how do you invest in individuals to essentially help shape what you're looking for tomorrow so hiring people who have the potential but knowing that they will need some training knowing that they will need some exposure to gain experience and when you can couple them with individuals in your organization that already are doing some great things well you're helping to build the next generation of cybersecurity leaders in our field. A lot of companies in the industry, including Mandiant, also offer grants and scholarships for uh, cybersecurity education. And I think that's a good start and definitely something that the industry is at least starting to do right. And uh, if we could focus more on that, that definitely would give those underserved, underprivileged individuals a a leg up and and a a chance to compete for those cybersecurity jobs out there that we're just finding a a shallow talent pool and, and not having enough resources to match up with our requirements. Hello and welcome everybody to episode five of the Skills Gap series, part of Mandiant's Defenders Advantage podcast, where we focus on thoughts, ideas, and initiatives on narrowing the skills gap in cybersecurity. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. Joining me on today's panel are Mandiant's own Fernando Tomlinson and Matt Boyle. Fernando is a principal consultant for digital forensics and incident response, while Matt is a manager in incident response for Mandiant. Thank you both for uh, joining today. It'd be great to give the audience some insight on both of your backgrounds and experience working with Mandiant. Fernando, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning. I'm Fernando Tomlinson. I go by Nando. As mentioned, I'm a principal consultant focused on incident response and digital forensics. And oddly enough, next week marks my one-year anniversary here at Mandiant. Prior to joining the Mandiant team, I retired from the U.S. Army, uh, where I served 20 years there. The first half of my career was in information technology, and the latter half was in cybersecurity. I'm an adjunct professor where I teach an array of cybersecurity-related subjects. It's an opportunity for me to give back. And if you're a fan of cybersecurity conferences, you can typically find me there where I'm often soaking in the content or speaking at the engagement. Great. And congrats on on the one-year anniversary. Thanks. Matt, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background as well? Definitely. I'm Matt Boyle, and I'm one of the managers on the Global Government Incident Response Team and uh, focused on providing incident response and compromise assessments services for federal, state, and local customers. Uh, I have over 15 years of experience in cybersecurity and have been with Mandiant for uh, just over five years. I'm also an Air Force veteran. Awesome. Great great to have you both on. And, and let me start by saying thank you both for your service. Jumping in right with uh, Nando, I'll, I'll throw the first question to you. Many companies have hired specific backgrounds and or look for certain degrees. What are some things that we might do to think differently when hiring? Yeah, I think this is a very good question, right? A lot of times when we're looking for a specific background in a person, it's due to the underlying qualities that are associated with it. For example, an organization that may desire to have somebody with, you know, IR experience, incident response experience, in lieu of that direct background, we could maybe search for the underlying qualities such as being inquisitive, curious, maybe an analytical thinker, or simply a person who enjoys solving puzzles. Looking back, 
you know, those are qualities that I think I have in myself as an incident responder. And certainly as I look at some of the people that I work with on a daily basis. And if somebody were to join our team that didn't have direct incident response experience, but exhibited some of those qualities, I think we could certainly work with them because again, looking at the underlying things that we're looking for. Now, if organizations were to make some form of a shift or incorporate that into their search, well, it would help them, in my opinion, expand their ability to identify great candidates as opposed to looking for the specific person that you know has on their resume that they did the specific incident response role. Additionally, having people with non-traditional backgrounds, you know, people who don't have direct IR experience as we know it, in my opinion, adds diversity to the team in several ways. One of the ways may be how we look at an engagement. It could be entirely different. And the way that that person with a non-traditional background may look at our engagement could enable us to have an additional hypothesis about a conclusion that we otherwise may not have explored. This is what we get when we start to add in some diversity associated with the role in which we work. Lastly, thinking about this some more, in the U.S., you know, United States here, the military is one of the only environments that will bring a person aboard who lacks real-world experience in cybersecurity, for example, and provide training and preparation for the role in that area. I'm a product, you know, of the the military's approach as I joined the Army at the age of 18, knowing nothing about computers. And while I'm not the smartest person in the room, I certainly have been able to benefit from their approach of bringing somebody on with the, the, the aptitude and having the ability to learn very quickly. So I think organizations could certainly benefit from that as well. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, Matt, same question for you. You know, what are, what are some of the things that we might do to think differently when hiring? Yeah. So um, I, I definitely agree that there are some backgrounds or degrees out there that lend themselves to a uh, specific cybersecurity roles, but really like to Nando's point, filtering out the talent pool there limits us on missing on some great candidates out there that have those intangible skills that we look for. Just that drive and determination, the thought process, willingness to learn, all of that's a lot easier to pull out during an interview, but obviously we have limited bandwidth on how many candidates we can interview for a given position. So um, just trying to find that way to uh, identify those, those soft skills, that, that eagerness outside of, uh, of the resume process would, uh, would be a huge success. And also following on Nando's point there, um, having a similar background from my time in the military, I can definitely attest that, that a lot of the, the, the best performers, the top people that, that I saw had those skills and desires, that problem solving ability, the, uh, the thirst to find answers. We could teach those people the basics in, in the incident response background, but you can't teach someone to want to solve puzzles. So uh, that's definitely a high point there is uh, being able to find those people and, and, and bring them to where they need to be technically. Got it. Great points. And you mentioned interviewing and, and obviously you two are all playing double duty a lot, you know, and those that are in the hiring process are working long hours. So trying to find more time to get more talent into the interview process is, is certainly important. And, and you know, we, we do generally look for certain qualifications on the resume. That's often the reason for getting or not getting into the interview process. Is there more that uh, we or the industry can do to learn more about maybe the analytical or soft skills of individuals, you know, outside of the normal profile or resume? 
and Nando, I'll, I'll start with you again. Yeah. So, you know, some things that we can do certainly to expand, you know, the population, if you will, of folks of available candidates is, you know, wide, if you will. The qualifications that we're, we're looking for are generally set against a set of standards that may be desired by an organization, either something that they want directly or something that they've been told that they need to have uh, by some other governing body. But when we have individuals who have these qualifications, this serves as a method for the organization to be able to, in some respect, objectively determine whether somebody meets the mode or not. Unfortunately, a lot of those qualifications have a cost and not everyone is able to afford the training that's associated with it or the certification that's also tied to it, which could be a hindrance to the individual, which then could preclude them from you know, being a viable candidate in terms of the organization. This is where I'd love to see more free and readily accessible qualification producing resources. And not to say that some of these don't already exist, but certainly we are sitting here having this conversation today because we still have a problem in this field, which means there's room and opportunity for us to continuously grow. There's platforms, though, like Hack the Box that do a great job. I'm seeing more and more individuals that don't necessarily have some of the experience that organizations may be asking for, but are able to say, I'm in this percentile within this platform, you know, using something that we within this field could be like, oh, okay, I'm familiar with that platform. And I'm familiar with um, the difficulty associated with that. So when person A says they're ranking in this percentile, then that's something that I could use in lieu of them having, you know, the, the next great certification or training that would have cost money that they may or may not have. So while things like Hack the Box certainly help us in that realm, I also have developed uh, two platforms that seek to do something very similar under the wire and Posh Hunter. Again, free platforms want to make it to where people can have something that they can use to gain training, gain exposure, but doesn't cost them a dime. Additionally, some organizations that that recognize that this is a difficult task. You know, this is growing on a daily basis. And recruiting is one of those things that people continuously have a problem with. As noted, this is a contested space. The same individuals that we would likely be looking for here at Mandiant are the same individuals that some other cybersecurity organizations are looking for, or just organizations at large who have tech that they need to secure. So this really speaks to organizations having to shift their strategy. And some people, some organizations have adapted this much quicker than others. However, uh, a key thing that will certainly, in my opinion, put people ahead of the race, if you will, is investing in candidates who have the potential. Understanding that you have a need today, and you should certainly continue to recruit for that, but how do you invest in individuals to essentially help shape what you're looking for tomorrow? All right, so hiring people who have the potential, but knowing that they will need some training, knowing that they will need some exposure to gain experience, and when you can couple them with individuals in your organization that already are doing some great things, well, you're helping to build the next generation of cybersecurity leaders in our field. Now, some of these people, 
will inevitably leave the company within the first year or two if a company seeks to, to invest in them. But there's other people who will stick with them for the long term. As I look around the Mandiant team, right, there's several people that I can name easily that joined Mandiant as an associate consultant. And, and for, for those who may not understand what that means, that's, that's a person with little to no experience, generally somebody who we can think of fresh out of, out of college, if you will. But nonetheless, some of these individuals are managing directors now, right? And, and that, that means they've traversed the ladder several times over. They came to the organization with little to no experience, maybe just out of college, and now they're managing directors, right? But that speaks to Mandian's ability as an example to invest in individuals. And if people continue to do that, we'll slowly but surely lighten or lessen the the curve that we have in our skills gap. So that's a great point. Now, I, I want to highlight something else, right? There's no good way to bring in new talent other than diversifying the cybersecurity talent that we're looking for. What do I mean by that? Well, if we were to look at some numbers, and, and I don't have numbers in front of us, but there are schools over and over that are known for producing top tier individuals like their their cybersecurity program the computer science program is like bar none top of the line and when we're always trying to pull from that same well well that well can only produce so many people within a certain amount of time we need to expand beyond some of those programs and for many employers this is where being able to invest in people outside of that low-income organizations, areas of the world that you know aren't necessarily known for cybersecurity. Uh, because we know by doing that and investing people, like I talked about what Team Mandian has done, we can ultimately help lessen what we are dealing with today. The last thing I'll talk about, though, is there's a sheer amount of people who use technology daily, right? But they don't work for cybersecurity. I'll talk about my wife here for a minute. She's a, a registered nurse and, and people uh, that she worked with tend to come to her for IT issues because she has exhibited that. However, she doesn't work in IT. And there's other individuals that are like that, where they are already employed by a particular organization. They work in a different business unit, but they have some of the skills and ability or they're sought upon uh, by their peers as being a person who can solve problems and think outside the box and things of that nature, all core skills that we're looking for in an individual, right? You know, another example would be somebody who works at like a supermarket and maybe they're a logistician, right? A logistics specialist, ensuring that the appropriate number of goods are readily available and knowing when to replenish them in order to keep the supply there. Uh, they likely would use some form of analytics to be able to make that determination. Hey, when I get to this level of good, I need to order because it's going to take X amount of time to get here. And analysis of, you know, Super Bowl weekend, we sell out on this versus a normal weekend. All of those things in a way that they may attack that problem is certainly useful in the cybersecurity field. And I bet you that in the organization that they work for, with little, you know, on-the-job training or some commercial cybersecurity training, they could easily fill an entry-level job in that organization. So it speaks to, you know, organizations investing in individuals with different backgrounds, diversity, 
people who don't necessarily come in with the skills and ability right now, but also looking within their organization and recruiting from within. So I think there's a, a good path for us to move forward in that. All right. A, a lot of great input wrapped in there. And, and uh, you know, it, it is important you mentioned tapping the same wells. So uh, we definitely are thinking about new wells or creating new wells, right, that we can have resources from. So and on top of that, we have to think differently about how we're hiring individuals as well, too. So so really great input, Matt. I'll just ask the same question of you as well, too. Is there, you know, uh, from an industry standpoint or things that we might do? a little bit differently outside the normal profile resume and then move forward in the process standpoint. Yeah, definitely. First, I think looking at the existing process we have of uh, resumes, trying to think outside the box, how to look at the resume. So uh, trying to find a way to find those non-technical skills, those soft skills. Something really important to me and the team that I'm on is uh, communication skills. Can you uh, communicate effectively both verbally and written with a customer? Are you comfortable talking to uh, complete strangers that are that are probably in a stressful situation? When, when we're taking a scoping call for an inbound incident response, some people are having like one of the worst days of their lives, at least uh, career-wise, and uh, being able to, to calmly talk to the person, get the information that's needed to assist them and start the process rolling. That that skill set can come across in a resume from uh, vast other experiences don't, that don't have to be technical. Also, just similar things like that, where, where we're able to pick out the experiences we're looking for, Looking, thinking outside the box, looking between the lines type thing. As far as completely uh, um, outside of the, the normal process, I think uh, creating a second route into that interview process and going back to what I said earlier, uh, being able to pick out that, uh, that desire, those skills, what we're really looking for in a candidate is something that's relatively easy to do during an interview, but we have limited bandwidth to, to conduct those interviews. So just finding a way to get the right people into that process outside of uh, the traditional resume would be ideal. Uh, and, and just thinking of, of something off the top of my head there, we all go to conferences. Every consultant I know attends even at least a local conference, if not some of the bigger uh, national conferences, international conferences. And uh, when you're doing that socializing, when you're meeting with people, even if it's a local meetup, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, cyber meetups popping up around just getting to know people. I've, I've met several people at local meetups where it's where they, they really want to get into the field and having that one-on-one -on -one interaction, you can see those intangibles that, that don't come through on the resume and just finding or creating a new path where, um, we could leverage our employees to bring candidates knowing that they don't necessarily have the specific skills, but they would be a prime candidate to put into that process where maybe they start as an associate consultant and, and we build them up um, through, through the um, progression of um, jobs and skills there. Uh, very valid points, and that, that, and that's great insight as well for those really trying to break in the cyber industry. The more you can get in front of folks that are in the cyber industry and learn more from them, and and allow them to see you, and obviously, you know, that's also an opportunity to work on some of those soft skills, right, and social skills and communication skills. So, all, all good points. Moving on to the next question. 
accessibility to tools, training, certifications, and things of that nature is an important aspect to have more diversity in our industry. Are, are there any programs available that our audience might be aware of, Nando? Yeah, so this is something that is is truly you know near and dear uh, to me. So while I'm of the opinion that some of some of these things are more accessible today than what they were, you know, say five, ten, fifteen years ago, I think we certainly have a, a way to go. There are a lot of free resources on the internet. However, the concern with this, as we talk about this subject, is really twofold. You know, the first part to this is. Just because some resources exist doesn't mean a person knows about them, right? And sure, people, some people have the internet and they can Google and find what they need, but you still need kind of something or someone to kind of help get you in the general vicinity of it. The, the, the second part to this is exposure to those resources, right? And being exposed to the resources is just as important, in my opinion, as the accessibility. So having the resources on the internet, that's step one. But being cognizant that, you know, not everybody has a computer or even internet access is really something else we, we need to be aware of. And it's really slicing this in two parts. How do we address this from the individuals that have internet access and resources are online? And then what about the individuals who don't even have a computer, don't even have an internet? There's a whole group, there's a whole population of folks that um, aren't being tapped into. They don't have the accessibility and there's a, a lack of uh, opportunity in that perspective. So while I highlight those things as, as areas of opportunity and certainly highlight where we are, I'm not saying that we haven't progressed at all. We, we have, as we talk about the five, 10, 15 year um, piece. Uh, and there's several initiatives that are out there to certainly make um, more things that are more accessible. For example, SANS. I'm a huge fan of SANS. They have several academies, several scholarships that make their training and their certifications available to various demographics. But we still got to go back to that point of I don't even have internet access, nor do I have a computer. Uh, but for those that do, certainly SANS is, a, is an opportunity and they're well respected within the cybersecurity field. Uh, most cybersecurity conferences generally have some type of discounted rates for students. Uh, for example, I'm here in the Augusta, Georgia area, and uh, there's no shortage of you know a discount for a local conference here. And then there's a quarterly conference, the uh, Information Security Systems Association that meets once a quarter, and then that's free for individuals as well. So it helps to make things um, somewhat affordable, right? Some people still can't even afford the discounted piece, but for the piece that's free, certainly um, is accessible to them as long as they are made aware of it. Uh, there's some other conferences, though, that provide scholarships for the conference. They essentially pay for a person's travel, including the hotel and the entry into the conference itself. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was the co-author of a book where all the proceeds uh, went to a foundation that helped underrepresented it, underprivileged individuals, you know, go to cybersecurity conferences. So I know they exist. I was part of an initiative for that. And there's certainly other ones that are out there. The other thing I'll say is uh, back in March, uh, I spoke at the SANS New to Cyber Summit. Uh, and this conference was really, really cool. It was the first time I'd ever spoke at a conference that was aimed on 
more so entry level people, you know, new to the field, if you will. Um, so it was directly focused on individuals who, you know, again, I, I'm new, I'm trying to make a career shift or what have you. And there were other people who had were more seasoned, if you will, and it allowed them to uh, be in such a place where they were able to be married up, for lack of better words, with these new individuals and be available for these individuals. So that way you could build, you know, mentorship and be accessible and all the things that we talk about that are hugely important here. So a conference focused on uh, people new to cyber, having seasoned individuals available so the new people could interact. I thought that was really, really great. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the second year that they, they did it. But um, they also had a plethora of resources all in one spot. So, you know, back to the original thing, you know, yes, we, we have some ways to go. Yes, there are some initiatives, but I still think there's a population that uh, we could focus on as a cybersecurity cohort. And that is the areas that are underprivileged, underrepresented. Again, I live in a place, Augusta, Georgia, big cyber hub now. So this area gets a lot of love in terms of that. But I'm sure there's places we've never heard of on the map that, you know, very rural in nature that we could start to focus on a little bit more as well. Great insights and couldn't agree more, like focusing on uh, some of the underprivileged areas and, and programs that allow folks to to get specific training and, and really just knowledge of our industry, right? Starting there, like how do we get more people interested and, and excited about cybersecurity as well too? So thanks thanks for that input. And, and Matt, I'll just ask you the same thing. Any programs that are available that our audience might be aware of? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there are so many more resources available today than uh, when Nando and I got started uh, <laughs> uh, quite a while ago. Most of the tools are open source or freely available, or uh, if they are a commercial uh, product, they tend to have a free option for non-commercial use that uh, really gives um, people a, a, an opportunity to learn and utilize those tools. I find good resources for discovering new tools is uh, following uh, cybersecurity professionals on Twitter, listening to industry podcasts. Similarly, training has come a long way. There are so many free training resources available online, lots of YouTube videos. Uh, I I personally like Cybrary. They have a lot of uh, video resources that are organized well for um, uh, learning. There's lots of blogs out there. Uh, And and, uh, to Nando's point, there's some conferences that have either free or reduced uh, pricing for um, people that, that, uh, that need that. As far as uh, uh, certifications, uh, I know that's always been a contentious topic on needing certs. Uh, how, how trustworthy is it that, that uh, uh, someone that has this certification can do the skills that, that the cert covers? Uh, I, I've seen it go both ways. I, I've interviewed or worked with people that uh, have had uh, all the, the standard industry certs, but were not up to par or people that don't have the certification but but are definitely rock stars so i could see that going either way as, as far as uh, like we talked about earlier getting into the interview process having it on your resume that's always something that that helps that process uh being on the the global government team a lot of the time our customers require the uh, certs in order to uh have someone work on a, on a project so uh that's definitely a reason that we look at those. And then as, as far as accessibility, uh, there's a lot of companies and organizations 
organizations out there that have scholarship and training programs for cybersecurity. The SAN Cyber Immersion Academies have several different programs for different individuals that can qualify, including uh, there's a Veterans Academy and a Women's Academy. A lot of companies in the industry, including Mandiant, also offer grants and scholarships for uh, cybersecurity education. And I think that's a, that's a good start and definitely something that, that uh, the industry is at least starting to do right. And uh, if we could focus more on that, that definitely would give um, those uh, underserved, underprivileged individuals a, a leg up and, and a, a chance to uh, compete for the uh, those cybersecurity jobs out there that... Uh, that uh, we're just finding a, a shallow talent pool and, and not having enough resources to um, uh, match up with our requirements. Yeah, thank you both for insights on a variety of different programs. That's I'm sure helpful to our audience. You know, just kind of building on that. You know, what are what are some of the things the industry might do to make education and/or tools more accessible? Yeah. So the increase in cyber-related college programs, I, I think has been helpful. As an adjunct professor, I I, I kind of am on the front lines uh, of that. And um, having been an adjunct at several institutions, I see the continuous increase in material and emphasis on cybersecurity at the collegiate level. And it's truly refreshing because it wasn't a degree program uh, when I first started out. I think in some respects, the collegiate level could be too late to introduce an individual to cybersecurity. And I think this is where we have a couple of areas that we can improve on. One of those areas is really at the high school and middle school. And I think we can have a conversation whether even that's too late. But that's an opportunity to garner interest and expose people earlier, right? And depending on the area of specifically the United States, only speaking to the U.S. really, um, the industry has done, has already been in a position where their presence has been seen in schools. And I shouldn't say industry, but some organizations. And this needs to be certainly expanded. Um, for example, you know, in the local area, Augusta, Georgia, this is the home of the United States Army Cyber Force. So there's a larger population of emphasis on cyber at the high school level, for example, because of the military's presence here. If we were to go down to another city, if there's no real cyber presence there, then that school may lose out on some of that opportunity. But I, I certainly think that is certainly helpful in respect to uh, making things much more uh, accessible. Completely agree. Matt, do you, anything to elaborate on that as well? Yeah, I agree with Fernando that we need to do a better job of educating and inspiring our youth to be interested in cybersecurity. Uh, there are a lot of great programs like Cyber Patriot. I know uh, locally here in Tampa, the University of South Florida has a great uh, cyber camp program for uh, high schoolers. And and really, those those types of programs are, are starting to, to uh, do the right thing. From the industry perspective, Having the sponsorships and uh, giving resources to those programs is, is definitely helpful. But uh, I, I've seen that the biggest impact we could do as cyber professionals is be mentors, uh, participate in those programs, help uh, bring up that next generation of uh, cybersecurity professional. Agree. Uh, re really great input all the way around today. Uh, we all know there's no silver bullet to solving the massive skills gap that we have in cyber today, but 
believe we must continue to think and look at our approach differently. It's definitely easier said than done. However, we, we are seeing more hiring managers and leaders flexing their requirements and having success, and that's quite encouraging. Th- thanks again to both of you. Thanks, Nando, Matt, for joining me. Really enjoyed the discussion, and thanks to all of you for listening in today. Be sure to join us next month for another Skills Gap session for Mandiant's Defenders Advantage podcast series. 